Hello and welcome to Exploring Hospitality with the Hilton College, where we work to bridge the gap between academia and the hospitality industry. We explain what the top minds at the Conrad and Hilton College of Hotel Restaurant Management at the University of Houston are working on and what the industry can learn from them. My name is John Price and I'm joined today by Shaodan Mal Clark, partner at Jade Hill Investments and PhD candidate at the Hilton College. All right, Shao, so who do we have and what are we discussing today? For this podcast, I chose an article written by Dr. Kijong Bak, the Associate Dean for Research and Graduate Study at the college. It's one of the pieces that he wrote for the UN titled Commentary Policy Brief on COVID-19 and Transforming Tourism. Uh, with that, uh, I'm honored to introduce uh, one of my mentors and the author of the commentary, Dr. Kijong Bak. Uh, to list Dr. Back's accomplishments uh, would take the time of our entire show and more. So I'm going to just name a few of his accolades. Uh, Dr. Back is Associate Dean for Research and Graduate Studies and Eric Hilton Distinguished Chair at the Conrad and Hilton College at the University of Houston. He's editorial board member for numerous top tier academic journals, multiple best paper awards, of International Council on Hotel and Restaurant and Institutional Educational Conference, or the ICRI, more than a dozen research and teaching awards. He also authored and published more than 90 papers and book chapters. And the rumor has it, he also has a mean handicap. Welcome, Dr. Back. Thank you for having me. So can you tell us uh, how you came about writing the commentary for you and Dr. Back? All right, thank you so much for a great introduction. Um, yeah, I happen to know several different people from the organization. Uh, and one of my best friends, uh, his name is Mr. Omuda Muradan. He's the chief executive officer for the UN Academic Impact Initiative and also the chief editor for the UN uh, Chronicle. He actually knows my research area. He knows my expertise. So he invited me to speak to UN on the current release of the policy brief by the uh, uh, UN General Secretary. So I wrote a very brief article on uh, UN Chronicle, and that's how I actually had the opportunity to share my thoughts in a very brief way. But hopefully I can uh, elaborate more on what I try to say on the Chronicle using this podcast. So thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So Dr. Back, in your UN commentary, you gave several examples of these countries that have recovered faster than others and opened for travel faster than others. Would you tell us what some of these countries are doing right? Right. Um, so when I wrote the article, uh, it's been almost a, a year ago. So at that time, there were several different countries uh, did a wonderful job for protecting their own citizens, uh, but also to protect others. So one of the many countries who did the, their job best uh, was South Korea. Actually, South Korea was very recognized by several different media because of their transparency of uh, information that shared to their own citizens. So um, once the COVID case was detected, the government traces each individual and provides multiple ways of protecting and other people. So for instance, uh, thanks to the prevalence of CCTVs and advanced technology, 
the government agency could track down each individual who had a direct contact with the infected individual and provide all necessary amenities and instructions. The people also abide by the government policies. So they technically listen to what government <laughs> told them to do. So that's amazing. So I know there are many countries that handled the COVID situation in a very wise manner and ready for getting back to normal life for their citizens. So another good example is Germany. So Germany did a wonderful job for efficiently use the stimulus package. The International Climate Initiative from Germany spent over $58 million to support 29 different projects in 25 different countries responding to COVID. That is the, the data that I got it in last summer. So I don't know how much more money they, they spent to uh, build the future economic, social, and ecological resilience and seeking to prevent a new pandemic. So I, I just talked about um, two advanced countries, but there are a lot of uh, developing countries uh, such as Jamaica. Uh, they use the, the stimulus package uh, amount of $1.2 billion for business operating in the tourism and related sectors. So it goes on and on and on. The people, they know what to do when the crisis came, but some other countries don't know what to do. And some of the even advanced countries, which I cannot tell, uh, I cannot name specific country, but because of the wrong leadership, the people suffer in the countries. But with the uh, great leadership, people survive and look for different opportunities. So, the, so, UN came out as a sort of a leader in this manner that tried to identify what are the specific needs, especially with the small island countries where most of their income are totally dependent on tourism. So they seek for help for other countries to jump in to help each other and then helping them diversify as well as digitally transform to respond rapidly to crisis. So we need the leadership. We need the leadership to solve the problem together, share what we have and to with for those who don't have anything. So there are so many different opportunities that I see through this whole process. So um, most of those countries who were successfully overcome this pandemic or overcoming this pandemic uh, have uh, three common attributes. The first is a transparent communication system because people fear about unknown. The government should clearly pass the messages to other people and provide the best solutions. Second is uh, help others. Don't just look at your own people, look at others because even if you protect your own people, if there are outsiders coming to your country, I mean, the coronavirus never ends. So the country has to share and then to realize we are not li really living alone. And then the third item is to really think ahead. What can we do? Because COVID-19 is just starting. We, we may have uh, 
so many different diseases, so many different threats coming to our life, but we need to prepare. We need to think, of, think ahead of the, uh, the game and how we as an industry person or academia can work together to solve this kind of solution. So that's how some of the good exemplary countries did and they are doing to overcoming uh, this kind of a crisis. It also sounds like trust is a big part of this. One of the things I've kind of spoken with some people in the industry about is they don't know kind of what's going on with specifically the restaurant relief fund, or they don't know kind of what's going on with the stimulus. And it's really about, do you trust your government to do the right thing? And then how much do you trust them kind of leads into how long are you going to do what they're asking you to do? Exactly. Trust is the sort of a effective attitude. I may use a sort of a psychological term or academic term, <laughs> but <laughs> I mean, I can't help it. I'm a professor, so. But this affective attitude came from the cognitive attitude, which is belief. Belief is, came from the fact. You need to trust the fact. You need to trust the research outcome. So whatever the government says, I don't know whether it's 100% true or not. However, government is trying to support you. The government is trying to help you. Hmm. But the problem is, if the government doesn't show you the fact, there is a problem. So we as uh, educated people, it doesn't mean whether you have a high school degree or elementary school degree, that's not um, the, uh, educated. The educated person is know how you analyze the fact and then you live by it. So think about the vaccine case, uh, people, think about there's a conspiracy theory about vaccines, so try not to take a vaccine. But from my perspective, vaccine is the, um, the best weapon to fight this um, enemy at this point. So, so there are so many things, but I trust the fact. I, I, I'm not trusting people, I'm trusting the fact. So you need to really focus on the fact, and then go with it. And the government has to be very transparent on sharing this fact. That's my point. So let's talk about some trends in our industry. Uh, Dr. Back, what trends do you think have accelerated and which went by the wayside? All right. So many things, many trends came out uh, because of the pandemic. Of course, people will savvy about personal hygiene as the first item. And if you remember a long time ago, I don't know what year was it. I remember one of our faculty members, Dr. Jane Neal, did a study on hotel sanitary issue that he found out that the TV remote controller is the most vulnerable item in the guest room that has the most germs. I think he was interviewed by um, some media. So, it was very surprising that it was not toilet, it was not elevator button, but it was TV remote controller. So another thing was when I traveled to Hong Kong right after 2008 SAS incidents, I noticed that every hotel operators were focused on sanitizing entire property, including 
covering the plastic cover on the elevator buttons and sanitize regular basis. And not only that, uh, when you walk into the guest room, you see a bunch of uh, covered items, including remote controller, doorknobs, and telephones, and ensuring that this device was sanitized. That was um, back in 2008 or 2009. But now we see everywhere. Um, if you go to Hilton Hotel, there is some sticker uh, put it on the door that the room has been cleaned. Uh, so uh, we see the social distancing sign and then the Hilton Marriott, they go with uh, so many different specialized healthcare or certificate program. And I know Melia worked with the Bureau of Veritas to certify their sanitary system for each property. And one of my um, favorite luxury hotel in Switzerland, Boulevard Palace, they even create the health charter for their employees and customers. And they hire the new, I mean, they develop a new position for the hygiene specialist or hygiene manager so that if the customer has any question related to sanitary or hygiene matters, they can talk to this specific individual who will guide them to get some help on any issue or answering any questions that they have. So technology is not, I mean, you cannot get away with the technology. You have a contactless technology in terms of a enter the door or make a payment or QR code on the menu. These are everything that they already been existing, but it becomes more prevalent in this um, new normal. So this is sort of a trend, but as I mentioned before, the communication is the most important part. Uh, as John mentioned earlier that the trust is most important. So in order to be trusted, you have to have a very effective communication system for your own employees as well as your customers. So the communication becoming uh, more important as a sort of a trend in our industry so that the people will feel safe uh, and um, they can really see the actual result out of the effective communication. And of course, constant training your employees, not only in terms of hygiene matters, but their employees' wellness, how they should eat properly, how they should take care of themselves. So the employee will be appreciative and the employee can protect themselves so that once they protect themselves, they can also protect the customers. So there are so many different things popping up. And of course, my last item to this question is about ESG, uh, environmental, social, and corporate government issues. ESG become well known back in like two, early 2010 or something like that, but it becomes more important when the pandemic happens because people now realize not only looking at up themselves, but looking up for others, try to help and try to help the uh, environment to protect us from it. So, I mean, I can go on and on and on on these trends, but everything become technically opportunities uh, rather than crisis. So let me stop it here.
And I recently saw an advert, and then I went into the advertisement. Actually, saw the hotel website. It was a hotel that specifically targeted towards luxury consumers, so private villas. And they emphasize the fact that it's private, it's exclusive, so you don't have to interact with anyone else because the people spend so much money to travel to the destination. And when you get to the destination, you don't really want to risk、uh, getting infected. So that's actually one of the the selling point the company was advertising.、Uh, do you see that there might be a A, a gap between this, the uber rich and and the poor and the kind of services and this、uh, that being offered and even with the kind and different level of cleanliness that's offered to to various people with、uh, different spending abilities. I see. I I see the point. So, the one that you mentioned about this、uh, promotion is actually created by small luxury hotel collection. They their propaganda is to stay small, stay safe.、Uh, so their critical promoting item is cleanliness by SLH. And if I remember correctly,、um, their three different models were stay exclusive, stay longer, and stay private. So、right. people people actually pamper the privacy, and then since they take a risk to travel, they rather stay longer because they have time and money. I'm just talking about luxury customers, and then they want to be exclusive, so they don't want to get bothered by any other people or get exposed to the threat of vi-、uh, spreading virus, and they want to have a very private experience. That's the luxury part. But looking at the、um, budget, the safety you cannot、uh, sacrifice. Whether it's a luxury or the budget, the safety is the basic bottom line,、uh, which includes the cleanliness. So a lot of Airbnb or limited service hotels do focus on this cleanliness. Then they try to minimize、uh, the people gathering, so they change the、um, how they serve in terms of the breakfast and things like that. But definitely, there will be a、um, different strategies how they operate the business、uh, from luxury to the budget. But nobody can sacrifice these safety issues. So. There will be a lot of differences when it comes to high touch and high tech versus low touch with the high tech, because the budget hotel can still utilize the technology. And there are so many different luxury travelers; they still want the high touch versus low touch. So it all depends on different types of customers. But once again, I repeat myself: one of the main Purpose of this hospitality operator is to provide a safe accommodation. So that's all that takes. So I'm really glad you brought up chain scale、uh, within hotels. I I'd like to kind of take it another direction, and I understand I'm getting off the reservation. So please stop me if I'm too far. <laughs> no problem. Let's talk about segmentation very quickly because I noticed probably 
my goodness, I guess it's been about 10 years now, the trend was to create these more common social spaces. You talk about the Hyatt places that have the lobbies in the bar. You talk about you know, the, the Hilton properties that were developed to have these gigantic social places. You have the Aloft hotels that have bars in the lobbies and they really want you to be a place not only for the business traveler, but also for the community and mix and mingle and cough and breathe all over each other. Is this something that you see continuing or is this something that the operators are really going to have to rethink? Right. So we had a lot of discussion during the middle of the COVID last summer uh, that, oh, everything will go away because we're not going to have a buffet table. We have to redesign the buffet and everything. That's what we talked last summer to winter. Uh, recently, I traveled to Smoky Mountain during spring break. And then I traveled about two weeks ago in Dallas. I stay in one of the nice properties. First, nobody wears mask in the hotel <laughs> property and people breathe and cough and do everything. That, I, 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 I couldn't trust my eyes. So it's different. I mean, you just mentioned that different people have a different uh, way of dealing with this situation about no matter what hotel operators has to monitor how their customers behave. I mean, you cannot serve everybody. Like for instance, Citizen M. Citizen M is mm -hmm. the wonderful property in several different places that has a huge lobby area. It's more likely library type uh, with a small guest room. So they are actually encouraging people to come out to the lobby or to the bar to socializing with other customers and things like that. Will that be popular in the future? It will still. People will be a little bit more cautious to dealing with the strangers or talking to strangers, but they, they just, hotel operator has to just make sure that they uh, regularly sanitizing those um, structures or devices or amenities, but people will still talk, people still shake hands, people still talk. So they just need to be smart on how they make sure that they do their best to accommodate the customer's needs. But some people do not want to engage. As I mentioned, we wants to have a very low touch because they are afraid of get infected by some other people. Then that's, those kind of people will choose to go to small luxury hotel, uh, like the one that I mentioned, to be exclusively by themselves. So they just, the hotel operators just need to understand what's their target markets wants and how they behave. So that it, takes a little research to monitor their behavior, their intention and everything. And then once their target market is behaving in a way, then they just need to design or redesign uh, their operating policies or strategies. I don't know whether I answered your question right or wrong, but I just um, responded. No, I, that's, that's actually a great, a great kind of lead into our next question uh, because you talked about, you know, at the end of the day, we are a hospitality business. 
And our job is to cater to our customers' needs, no matter if we have a really great idea about Canopy, right? Which is the, was the Hilton brand that I couldn't think of the name where you, know, you, you source everything local, you try and get people to mix and mingle, you have these really great ideas, but do they actually work? I remember IHG had a product called Even, I think it was, that their whole, their whole concept was a hotel built around a gym. And I think that's fabulous. Uh, at the time I was a pretty heavy business traveler, but nobody else did and they couldn't get them built. So you know, it, it is about catering to our customers' needs. So within that vein, uh, the tourism sector specifically has been identified by the UN as one of the key sectors that will positively contribute to the 17 Sustainable Development Goals, the SDG as they're referred to. To list a few of these, it's no poverty, zero hunger, gender equality, reduced inequalities, climate action. In your commentary, you emphasize fostering sustainability and inclusive green growth. What is that? And then would you mind telling us why we should care about these sustainable results as an industry? Yes. Um, well, a few years back, I didn't even recycle my waste <laughs> from my home that uh, I didn't really see the need. But time goes as I uh, realized the importance of meeting the goals of this uh, sustainable developments. Because the environment you can see, you can feel, you can, you can actually experience how the weather is changing right now. And I'm not, I'm not a green movement activist, but at least I can tell the difference, at least even for the weather-wise uh, or the temperature-wise in different locations in different time. So I used several different example things uh, and which I learned from my personal contact. When I visit Vegas, I, I took a group of students to have a field trip with the different uh, properties. When I visit Sands, Sands spends a lot of resources to help uh, to protect the environment. Like for instance, they actually hire the specialist to separate the waste from the guest room. Uh, when you walk into the sense guest room or Venetian, there is no separate uh, trash can for recycle. There's only one type of a trash can and people just throw everything together. But once they collect the trash can in, in their, um, a certain, uh, certain area within the hotel, there are specific individuals separate the waste from the recyclable, recyclable versus non-recyclable. And then they regenerate this recycle uh, to do something. So I didn't quite understand why they spend extra money to hire these people to separate them because they wanted to do it right because customers don't know, many customers don't know what to uh, recycle, what not to recycle. So rather, they just hire someone to do it to protect the environment. And um, Vegas is uh, sort of um, another example of the same company. Is uh, Vegas uh, is a desert. They don't really have uh, much water in their land. But they were very surprised when they actually broke the ground to build a new property. There are a bunch of uh, that, I mean, great amount of water they found under the ground. Hmm. So 
they have to just pump out those waters. Instead of uh, taking water out, they we use that dirty water to take care of the landscapes and things like that. So they recycle right. the water, dirty water, mm. for helping the environment and everything. So Hotel Icon is another example in Hong Kong. They removed all those water bottles for the guests. Rather, they put the, um, the purified water system on each guest room and provide the muck for drinking purpose. So water bottles, we, I don't know how, how many water bottles we waste, especially in the hotel industry. But of course, there is an investment cost, I mean, return on investment on this um, placing the uh, purified water system on each guest room, but there's a great uh, return. I, that's so, a great tee up for our next section. Yes. Actually, uh, this is a two-part question. I didn't tell you that at the beginning. Oh, I see. Uh, but the, the, the kind of second uh, part of this question is, what about the ROI, right? At the end of the day, it is an industry. People do need to make money. Uh, the I work at, for a company right now that has a large casino, and we we look at it as an ROI play. We're a zero waste facility at the casino, and we have gotten to the point where we are recycling or diverting ninety six percent of everything that comes in. And the way we look at it is, we were having a company pick up three dumpsters two to three times a week, and it was costing us thousands and thousands of dollars a week. When we finally did our, our investment to compost our food waste and re recycle or divert plastics or sell cigarette butts on the secondary market to someone on the East Coast to build park benches, we found out that we were actually on some months breaking even and some months actually returning to the bottom line money that would otherwise have just been spent on a, a waste removal contract. So kind of within that, that realm of return on investment, how should these or how can these initiatives help an operator bring money to the bottom line? Okay, John, can you give me 10 seconds? Sure. The reason that I'm asking is um, there's a <laughs> recycled truck just came over. So it makes a <laughs> big noise out of my house. <laughs> Can you hear that? Perfect. No, no, but no. I'm leaving this part in. <laughs> yeah, they are collecting recycle right now. That's <laughs> what oh, a you time. Can't, those Perfect dang environmentalists. <laughs> uh, yeah, they left. So uh, in terms of return on investment, of course, we are in a private business and our goal is to make profit. And if you cannot make profit, what is more important, right? So, um, but at the same time, we can achieve these several different sustainable development goals, and we can even increase our revenue or uh, profit. Then that makes really interesting story to those uh, operators. So I'd like to focus on maybe three different areas, how this return on investment can be vivid. First one item is awareness. Customers are very savvy. Awareness. I mean, some of the hotels we actually talked about it that provide a personal gym in the guest room um, to attract more 
wellness savvy customers so that they don't have to go to the gym or fitness center. Maybe they don't have a time while they are on the business travel, but while they are working in their guest room, they can still walk out and things like that. So people do spend, but we don't know how much return on investment that they are showing uh, because of this personal gym setting. However, if we focus on wellness to our employees, that shows the actual return. Deloitte announced and published the report back in 2018 that the hospitality industry have uh, invested about $3 trillion, including the fitness, health, eating, spa, and workplace work wellness programs. I'm just talking about, I think, the US uh, hospitality industry. They spend a lot of money on attracting customers, but they, in, this includes the employee wellness attribute. And a lot of employees do appreciate uh, the, the hotel companies who provide a pretty good health benefit, benefits and the education system on wellness. And then they tend to be more satisfied with their workplace. This is why Hilton become the number one company to work for, uh, according to Fortune 100. They see uh, employees think that the company do care about employees' wellness. Once they are happy, they, they, their work performance is way higher and reduce the absenteeism or reduce the turnover. Then literally, it'll be more profitable for the company. And they are more proud uh, to recommend their company for others and to work for them. The second thing is the, the savvy customers. The customers wanted to purchase the product or services from the company who is well known for excellent in corporate social responsibility. Uh, according to the survey, they are more than willing to pay premium price to those companies who do extra work for others. Uh, so a lot of companies are using SNS or the, their promotional item or using publicity to promote how they are well uh, dive into this poker social responsibility world so that whatever the amount of the money they make or certain percentage goes to help the environment or the underserved communities, etc. So it's not just for baking their activities. Actually, they do produce by performing this, and there are more attractive customers coming in to dine in or stay with your property. So the the civic customers do really realize this initiative. The last item is the, uh, the education piece. The operators also need to educate their customers as well as their employees, how they could work together to, to engage in this sustainability initiative. So just like what I used uh, an example of hotel icon in Hong Kong by removing the water bottle, people were wondering, oh, why there's a water tap in my guest room? Where's my water bottle? And then they have an opportunity to speak about their I mean, motivation. And then people do appreciate that initiative and they follow 
and then they actually spread the word of mouth in their social media. And then people talk about this property and or they tend to visit more. So that actually bring more customers interest and actual purchases. So in terms of a return on investment, I mean, it's amazing how this thing works. It's not just an action, but it's an attitude again. We have to keep in mind that we need to do more research to develop this kind of a project. Uh, what we, can we do? What can we do differently to serve the people, serve the environment, and serve ourselves and making more profit? So that's our whole goal to do research and then develop some pilot study. So don't be afraid of investing money on research. I'm saying it as a professor. <laughs> so we can find a lot of different opportunities. Yeah, you never know. Use our student and use our faculty member. Sometimes we can provide for free services uh, and to get the mutual benefits. So that's my uh, 10 second uh, promotional message. <laughs> yeah, I, really quickly, and I understand we're, we're coming up on the end of our time. The point you made about investing in your employees, I think right now, as we're recording at the end of June in 2021, we're seeing a, a big pushback from employees saying, well, I want to work somewhere that supports me. And having programs like you know, gym sponsorships or the ability to do payroll deductions in lieu of a payday loan or you know, these other services, you know, healthcare services, allowing for telemedicine, employee assistance programs, Whenever you start talking about reduced inequalities, you start talking about equity for people, you start talking about these very high concept ideas from the UN of all places, it's really hard to translate it kind of mentally into what, ex what actionable steps can I take. But whenever you start talking about these kind of ground up initiatives that hotel companies are doing, well, it suddenly starts to click. And kind of what I've seen and in my totally selfish role as a training manager, is that the more you pour into your employees, the more you're going to get back. You know, you have reduced absenteeism, reduced sick days, you have a better ability to use your staff and bring down the pressure on the rest of your people uh, because all of your people are first in place, but secondly, happy to be there because they feel taken care of. So I, I really appreciate that you bring in training and education and investing in your people as two of your top priorities. That, that really warms the cockles of my heart. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I do believe that. And actually, as I mentioned, I have a, a supporting data. The employee, uh, employees do participate, uh, did participate in this specific survey, which I have it in front of me, showing that the people do appreciate those US employers that offer the select wellness programs, uh, including wellness program, on-site on seasonal flu, vaccination, uh, rewards or bonuses for completing certain health and wellness programs, smoking cessation program, and uh, company organized fitness competition challenges. I mean, the employees do see the attractiveness of this kind of program. But besides this kind of a wellness program, one thing that I want to re 
emphasize is employees well-being in terms of a stability issue. How many people get laid off last summer or last year? And then now industries try to hire back so many different people and how to find those people because of the stimulus package and whatever. But even if the employees are rehired or hired, people employed, especially in our industry, will be very unstable from their mindset. Oh, if COVID something happens again, my job will be go away. Then what should I do? How can I support my children and things like that? So a lot of people wants to maybe do not want to work for hospitality industry. They want more stabilized job. Maybe they, that's what they will think. Then employer has to reassure that they are the most important asset for the company. And in order to show that kind of respect or stability, then wellness program or education program personal development program will be most ideal for the employees to get to increase the trust level uh, and then, then being more satisfied and they intend to, intend to stay. So, I mean, we have to all work together. Uh, so that's why our college is providing a lot of different executive education system, uh, education programs to the industry folks and then give them a personal development opportunities and so forth. I appreciate the fact that you brought up uh, that so many people have been laid off in the hospitality industry and some people and some of my close friends who's been in the industry since they graduated from our college, so 15, 20 years, and they're just heartbroken that they were let go and that they've decided not to get back into the hospitality industry anymore. But there are some, there, there, there were some hospitality uh, companies. I think Outback Steakhouse decided not to let anyone go and they, they are actually wreaking the, the benefit of that specific, very humane policy because they don't have to uh, rehire or retrain anyone, and they have a uh, tremendous uh, goodwill with their with their employees right now. And another interesting trend, or in it's it's the coming up of uh, the for profit company, but it's also a benefit corporation. So they their mission statement put the goodness of the society first and while uh, making their shareholder happy. So I, I'm actually looking forward to seeing more hospitality companies incorporate their company that way. So not only they, they talk about ROI, they talk about promote public benefits as the priority um, of their company charter. But to wrap up the podcast, the one word really resonated with me in the commentary is resilience. And what, what are some of the opportunities for transformation in the hospitality and tourism industry to become more resilient? Okay, so, so my sort of uh, concreting remarks will begin with the ESG. 
as I mentioned, ESG stands for environmental, social, and corporate governance. We need to invest in research and development, including pilot projects, to accelerate the development of ESG issues. We, we, we cannot, again, we cannot live alone. We have to look around and then we can run faster with our stakeholders, the community, government, and our employees, our students, and we can work together. And one of the opportunity that I saw through this uh, pandemic issue is developing the local tourism. People afraid of uh, travel, I mean, technically we couldn't travel even uh, because of the, the restriction and everything, but there are so many different things that we can do to attract the local residents to our uh, area. So we can utilize our own people to look around what can we do to further develop the tourism opportunity or hospitality opportunities in our local market? And then another term is the technology. Uh, we talk about blockchain. Uh, using blockchain, we can trace down where the uh, food on illness started from. So, I mean, that's a, just an example. So we can use um, a lot of different advanced technology so that we can be resilient on this kind of uh, outside enemies. And then lastly, we need to focus on awareness. If I really need to concise my pocket uh, interview in three words is ESG, safety, and awareness. So awareness is for everybody. We need to take care of ourselves, take care of our employees so that we can have a great return on investment uh, yes. at the end. So uh, those are the things that I want to make a sort of a conclusion, uh, concluding remarks on this interview that just look around. There are so many different opportunities to help and protect our people and our environment. And that's why I just recently founded the consortium called uh, Consortium for Global Sustainability that I have about 50 members all around the world. They are high ranked professors uh, from all around the world. And then we are actually going to work with the different government agencies and different industry people on the projects, consultants and things like that. So hopefully we can develop more research ideas and then share the knowledges with the people in this uh, tourism and hospitality industry. That consortium sounds really interesting. So if um, any uh, professor who listened to this podcast want to reach out to you uh, or get information on consortium, how would they do that? Yes, exactly. So they can directly contact me, but it's not only for the professors. Uh, I mean, we only have a membership for professors, academics, but we have a partners that we uh, include uh, different NGOs or government agencies or corporate industries. So whoever uh, are interested in anything related to ESG in our hospitality and tourism industry, let me know. And then my whole goal is try to connect. Not This is totally nonprofit organization initiative. I'm not promoting this consortium, but I've tried to promote this uh, think tank 
to be utilized and then we just help each other. So our Hilton College is uh, big in ESG issues and then we'll be more focused on promoting this initiative. We want to be the leader is come up with a new initiative, new idea to help others. Uh, so for those who want to get in touch with you, would you mind sharing your uh, email address? Yes, uh, kback at uh.edu. So my name Thank is you, Kijun Back. So Back is my last name and K is my first initial. Kback, I'm back. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Bag. And that wraps up our podcast. I want to thank you so much for your time right. today. Thank you. Thank you for having okay. me. All right. And that's our show. Thank you to Dr. Kijun Bak for joining us and to Shadan Mal Clark for leading our discussion. This podcast has been produced in partnership with the Hilton College Alumni Association and the University of Houston Alumni Association. If you'd like to learn more about the Hilton College at the University of Houston, visit hrm.uh.edu. To learn more about the Hilton College Alumni Association, email hcalumniboard at uh.edu. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the researcher and do not represent the views of the Conrad and Hilton College or the University of Houston. Also, thanks to Ghost and Goblin for the music. Have a great day.